Lasso fans, and welcome back to Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fancast from the Furrow Network on NPR Illinois. And we are here with episode 10 of season 3, your breakdown as it is an international break. Um, I'm Jeremy Geckner, and here with me as always, Mr. Craig McFarlane. What's up, man? Episode 10! Episode 10! It's getting so close to the end, guys, and I will just put it out there right now, first of all, that this is my favorite episode of Ted yeah. Lasso. It yeah, just is. I, put it out there. I love what we're going to get into here. It's so great. I also wanted to make a note that I think I'm less Robotron today. So <laughs> I hope that that comes through. Sorry about my audio for last week. Uh, growing pains in the new house, but moving forward, right? That's and right. just really excited to have you all back and listening to us. Yeah, uh, Craig went all John Connor on the electronics in his house, defeated Skynet, and uh, he is back into his normal voice um, here today. But I thought you were fine, man. We still had we still had a lot of fun on that one. And yeah, you're right. Um, man, an episode that's dealing with a lot of emotional baggage, an episode that does a ton of narrative heavy lifting here. Um, you know, for anybody out there who might have thought, like, there's not enough time to deal deal with everything like that we want to deal with in these last three episodes. I'm telling you, if this is an indication, they're going to get to a lot of stuff that you didn't think that they would get to. And they do it in a very, very satisfying way here. So, But we're going to get to all that. We're going to get through all of it. This might be a longer one again because there's a lot of stuff to get through. But first, as always, folks, we want to take some time to appreciate you, our fans who went and took the time to write to us and tell us what you were thinking about the show, specifically on iTunes or our Facebook page. Uh, Craig, do you want to start with the reviews or do you want your little special announcement here from our Facebook page? Well, I've got a couple of special announcements. First of all, this isn't a review, but uh, AJ, editor of the show, AJ, AJ uh, Emmy Award winner, he mentioned that he listened to the episode last week and he provided some really cool insights yeah. on our Peanut Butter and Biscuits Facebook page. So in case AJ is listening again, uh, and Melissa, to both of you, to all the post-production team, thank you so much for what for you do. And real. it was it was great to get a message from him that uh, he had listened to it and that he liked the editing shout outs. And mm. we give editing shout outs just about all the time because it is incredible the amount of work that these folks do to bring this to us, but also some really cool insights. So if you're not involved in the Facebook page yet, I do implore you to come and join us. Uh, we, I promise <laughs> that we are not all grandparents and I don't think any of us are racists in not there. Yet. So I mean... <laughs> unlike Barbara says, uh, you can come and join our Facebook page. And it was suggested by a listener uh, that we go ahead and give something special if we reach a thousand members Which in we're our close Facebook to. page. We're close to. We're close, people. We're real close. So what we're going to do, uh, people were asking for this last week, but Jeremy and I will do a special episode with the parallels of Ted Lasso and our other favorite TV show, The West Wing, mm -hmm. uh, once we hit that thousand member mark. So that'll be coming relatively quick after we get that. So definitely come and check that out. But now let's go ahead and get into those reviews as yeah. well. Do you want me to go first with our international review from Canada? Yes, give us our review from Canada. Is it Van Dam? Is he feeling all right after the game with Danny? Oh, man. Uh, well, his <laughs> nose is still injured. <laughs> By the way, I know we're going to talk about it, but did you hear like the like the little subtle, like because ca Canadians are all so nice? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they said, gosh, they said something like, gosh, that's a lot of blood. And then they said, oh, sorry oh, for, sorry the, bad for language. the language. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, love man. every minute of that. Okay, so this one is from Lady Lisa of Glencarn. Uh, it says, all 
curiosity, no judgment. So happy to have found my Ted Lasso tribe, Craig and Jeremy, and special guests bring all the things of joy, wonder, and curiosity as they run through the fun of each episode. A must listen for any Ted Lasso fan. There you go. We are so very grateful for that. And also sounds like a royal there. Um, so uh, good to know royalty is listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, we got one from iTunes here from Crystal Watkins says, love your podcast from a Detroit Lions fan. Hey, we're getting all of the Detroit Lions fans out of the woodwork here. Um, says, uh, hi, Craig and Jeremy. My husband and I began watching Ted Lasso a few months ago and wanted to say hi from Michigan. You mentioned that you'd like to hear from a Detroit Lions fan. And here we are. Uh, smiley face. I'm very thankful for your podcast. So positive and lifts my spirits each week. Ted Lasso and your podcast has helped me work through my anxiety that I've been dealing with for many years. So thank you. Well, that is definitely the biggest compliment we could ever possibly get. Thank you so much, Crystal. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, podcasting is a lot of therapy for me too. I listen to a lot of different shows. I also encourage therapy as well. But to hear that we might reduce some anxiety in folks, oh, man. Um, that means that means the world to us. And we really appreciate that. Yes. Mama Polling says, love, love, love. These guys are awesome and be, bring so much joy to an already joyful show. Every week, I look forward to their amazing analysis and thoughts on this awesome show. So Thank you so much for that. Yes, thank you, Mama Poling. Uh, we have here at the CCQB, um, don't know, like quarterback maybe there. Um, let, let's read and find out. Uh, I'm so not too late to find you is the title of this. I'm so glad I found this Ted Lasso podcast. I don't intend to disparage any other Ted podcast. Good. That's not what we do here. Um, but the others I have listened to pale in comparison. Okay, well, then you just did. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you very much for the compliment. The energy and positivity that Jeremy and Craig bring to the show is refreshing. Wish I had found this sooner because there is a great facebook community as well for peanut butter and biscuits hell yeah it is thank you very much ccqb uh and then in parentheses and i'm okay with the packers references my wife is a wisconsin girl and a packer fan i've put up with that for years well trust me man there's gonna be far fewer of those coming this season but uh yeah thank you very much for writing in there man Absolutely. And then our last one is from Steve Orama, 77. Excellent. Man. Conversation with old friends. By far my favorite Ted Lasso podcast out there. Ted Lasso came into my life at a time I lost a very dear friend to suicide. Mm. We love discussing our favorite shows. And even when we were far apart, this podcast somehow captures that same magic for me Ugh. and the effort and the passion and the material truly comes through. Thank you guys so very much. You are a highlight to my week. Oh, man. Uh, don't quite know where to go with that. That is insanely touching, Steve. Um, and uh, very sorry that you lost your friend. But if we can help you recapture any kind of good feelings that you had, um, oof. That, that's, and that's, that's something heavy. too. That's, I just want to let people. I just want to let people know. I really do say it, uh, but I love talking about this show, and I love communicating with listeners. The best and easiest way to get to me is through the Facebook page mm -hmm. uh, or through the email frontrowlasso at gmail .com. But I don't always know that I know what I, what to say. But yeah. I'm always here to listen. And yeah. so um, just come and find either of us and shoot us a message and we will certainly get back to you. And we do really appreciate you listening and sorry for your loss, Steve. And, um, you know, if, if we can help in any way possible, then that is uh, just absolutely incredible that we get that opportunity. Um, so I think that that's all the reviews for this week. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, I know. Are do you want to do, do that this? thing do again? You want, do you want to do this? <laughs> uh, stay tuned for the end of the recap for a great announcement yes. on another interview that will be coming your way in this feed in the very near future. Very Unless, near of course, future. 
stuff goes awry and it cancels. And then we go back and quickly edit everything out <laughs> that I just said, uh, because yeah. they have to cancel, but we have a very fun interview coming, uh, and we'll let you know at the end of the show, exactly. you ready to get into it, Jerry? around. I think it's time. We've got a lot of stuff to get into. Let's get into it. Episode 10 international break. Okay, so we're opening with some of the background noises of Soccer Saturday. Our old friends on Soccer Saturday are back. Um, and we learned that Richmond has actually run their win streak to 10 straight games. So, Craig, the point system of the Premier League, that means they've rattled off 30 points um, on their table total, which is quite insane. Uh, a 10-game winning streak is pretty unheard of. But I think if I read the board right in the office, too, I think they're now either 15, 6, and 9, or 16, 6, and 9, something like that. But they're up to 57 points. Um, so very, very good. So they've doubled their point total in just their win streak. Um, and they say that it's actually because of this great play from Sam Obasanya. So the big news, though, is a very big narrative beat here because Nate Shelley is out as manager at West Ham. And it is so incredible to like get this news in this format because it creates a mystery for us. It creates this mystery that we have to wonder like, oh, was it Rupert? Was he did he fire him because he was like upset with the bones and honey incident? You know, like what how is how is this happening? What's going on here? And of course George predictably says, Well, you know, Nate Shelley wasn't the brains there. It was Rupert. George, you suck in so many ways. Um but um it is going to be international break soon so so no games this week um, as the players are going to play for their home countries. Back in the locker room, Beard does an announcement of all the players that are going to their national teams. Uh, we learned that Jamie is going to the English team for the first time. Fantastic. Uh, Van Dam is going to be goalkeeping for Canada, and he's going to be playing Danny Rojas, who is playing for Mexico. Uh, more on that in a second. Uh, Bumbercatch, we learn, is Swiss, <laughs> which is pretty fantastic. Of course I am. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, what an amazing little, I, I, sidebar, the amount of stuff bummer catch is getting to do this year is just making me so happy like mo hashem is crushing it this year um we learned that also colin is going to be playing for wales but notably absent there is sam from the nigerian national team more on that in a little bit um but this is something that the room really feels that like, oh, Sam didn't make the team, which is weird because he's been playing great. So Jamie actually walks up to him and tells him that they screwed him over. Sam says that it's okay and congrats him. I just got to say the relationship has come so far. They are so like close to each other now, and it's so good to see. Van Dam goes over and congrats Danny, and Danny's demeanor literally shifts he is cold he is he's like a john wick assassin here <laughs> he's just like tells him that they are no longer bros that they are enemies um and van damme is clearly shook from this as we roll on the credits so craig what do you think of our little opening here as we get ready for the international break what's standing out to you well i mean it's incredible that we weren't sure what they were exactly going to do and uh about advancing a lot of these storylines and then within the first minute they fire nate shelley right, right from west ham well it and just so, says he's out so you know even well, in like, the... well kind of exactly like we find out later that he actually quit and we don't necessarily know for what reason yet right. but it's interesting that uh they drop that narrative beat because then it really does provide us with like okay we still probably will get a west ham match in the next two episodes but it won't have the same kind of significance i don't think yeah i don't know anymore if i don't know maybe anymore. we don't get it because yeah. uh maybe they go on a losing streak because the wonder kid is exactly who they needed disco is uh, not nate guys position. disco is not nate okay <laughs> he's he's not the coach nate is 
Well, maybe George will come back off of Soccer Saturday. Uh, I, and I, I loved that we were able to go a kind of in succession to be able to also pump up Sam as well, because in the opening beat of the last episode, we pumped up Jamie. So it's kind of clear that those two are on a parallel path to mm. who's going to really take over kind of this team and be able to ride it out for the rest of the Premier League season and hopefully ultimately win the championship as well. Is it going to be both of them? Is Jamie going to make that final pass mm. over to Sam or is he going to make that final pass over to Colin because I think we all agree the wrapping the wrapping paper and the bow on this whole series would be uh, Jamie being able to make that extra pass that Ted talked about all the way back in season one right mm, and so yeah. and that he did in Man City for Man City uh, in the hope that kills you and it would be nice if he did uh, it against Man City uh, to oh, win and a it, it has to be against, championship it, <laughs> it has to be against Man City right it has, uh, it has to be their their white whale that they have to come after but I thought that that was really cool also the international stuff you know we knew that Edwin Akufu was coming back because of the description of the episode mm -hmm. so immediately when Sam not picked for the Nigerian national team you know that he played a part in it and he's going to yeah. of course confirm that in a very dickish way later on in this episode well, and I mean uh, not well. for nothing man but he did say that at the end of that episode in season two he's just like you know you will never play for the Nigerian team it and now look it packs a punch because it came in the midst of his you know meltdown so you kind of like take it as like a joke almost but to see it seriously play out here like i don't know about you man but that was that was some dastardly villain stuff to me oh yeah and i love that later on he's gonna say it was a free 20 million dollars yeah. that he gave <laughs> to the nigerians uh to keep him off the team you know the danny rojas and uh, van damme <laughs> stuff is just like those extra bits it's that so we get tertiary but it's great <laughs> oh my god and like the the bit on the plane like we're going to talk oh about that in a little bit but like these two are just having fun with it mm -hmm. and i absolutely love that uh it that we got this in this episode so it's kind of like a really cool way to sort of get the international beat going as well and we see the team supporting each other watching it uh in the locker room uh the matches that are going on later on so i just think it's a really cool way to establish all that mm -hmm. and of course like i know i'm jumping ahead no, guys you're fine, like you're this fine. episode was this so great got a lot going on <laughs> the fact that we get them watching England and Jamie Tart later mm. as kind of an underscoring to Rebecca's speech about the the need for football and the mm. need for sport Ugh. Ugh. crushing crushing yeah crushing. it was so good so good so yeah. great pre-opening all around yeah and actually Sarah was like asking me when we were watching it's just like so wait they like just stop playing and they go play other places I was like yeah the soccer seasons are just very strange I mean it's not not strange so much but like there's like a bunch of different seasons that go on at the same time and yeah it's just it, it would seem kind of weird to Americans where it's just like oh you know like baseball we're gonna stop playing in the middle of June so that everybody can go play the world baseball classic and then all come back like that's basically what it is but it's just the function and form of soccer and plus the soccer seasons are a little longer too so um but that's pretty good and i like that they're giving that flair there so after we come back from the credits we're back in rebecca's office ted and rebecca are uh doing some i i wrote it down as innuendo talking here about a wine delivery service that sounds an awful lot like women's menstrual cycles um so we'll just give we'll just leave it at that some nice wordplay here that's pretty funny um but she asked what he thinks happened with nate at west ham and uh ted Basically, you know, he says he doesn't want to talk about it. A great Tedism about the legendary comedic actress Madeline Kahn. We will get there. Um, 
And then Rebecca says, like, she she says that he just sucks at girl talk. And he says it's because he doesn't like gossip. And I love that she calls it speculation, which is literally the same thing. But we transition that camera over and Trent is actually there sharing in this conversation. And he says that he's hearing rumors of inappropriate workplace stuff at West Ham. And so, Craig, I was doing the... I was doing the timeline in my head here, and if they've railed off two more wins, that means it's been at least two weeks since we saw Nate turn down Rupert's offer at Bones and Honey. So we don't know exactly what goes down, you know, in this time that makes Nate quit his job. But I don't know. Maybe the working environment got a little toxic there when Rupert, like, understood he couldn't control Nate as much anymore. Um, but, you know, hearing inappropriate workplace stuff, it immediately, in my mind, thinks that, like, especially since Rupert has a new assistant, maybe a lot of stuff went down there. And I believe he even says, like, it got a bit dramatic um, later in the episode. So maybe that's the inappropriate workplace stuff Trent is hearing. Um, but they all agree that Nate it wouldn't be capable of partaking in something like that. Um, and so from that, Higgins enters, and he says that through his – Director of Football Operations Band, which are called the Directors of Beep Operations. Excellent. Perfect. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> <Just> chef's kiss. <laughs> he says that our good friend Edwin Akufo is in town and is trying to put together a super league. Uh, I love that Ted mistakes this for the Justice League. <laughs> we might get to that full quote in a second. Um, but Trent and Higgins explain that to Ted, and Rebecca thinks that Rupert is somehow involved in this. And at that exact moment, he is calling her. So um, what are you thinking here about this uh, kind of setup and about just talking about what they think with Nate, what did you think of what I was thinking there with the West Ham stuff too? Well, I love the girl talk thing because I love that like Trent is coming at it from an investigative reporter, but uh -huh. yeah, like it is kind of more like gossipy, right? That, that he knows he's able to track down those rumors and the speculation. Well, yeah, Although, that's what Trent course, did. <laughs> as, as an important, as an important uh, journalist that he is, I'm sure that he uh, sourced his materials a little bit better than yeah. maybe what we would think of as like a, a normal gossip column or anything like that. But uh, it's, I, we're clearly going to get some revelations about what happened, I believe, at West Ham because we had things like the new assistant, who is clearly someone that is not necessarily – I think she was brought in for a particular reason, and Rebecca notices it right away, mm -hmm. that she's not the normal – uh, standard type of assistant that Rupert would want mm. in his office. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that that is something that will come back and perhaps Nate decided to confront him about that. And then also the fact that, you know, he was left at bones and honey because he didn't want to spend the night with two other women when he could be with Jade. And mm -hmm. so he goes back and gives her that really uh, remarkable hug. And I just love that we're getting Nate back in this episode. And maybe that's why it's one of my favorite, or is my favorite mm -hmm. really, because I know people have been down on Nick Muhammad and Nathan Shelley, maybe a lot more Nathan than, uh, than Nick, <laughs> but we knew that he was going to be redeemed in this season, right? He had to be. And this arc for me is well-earned. It's not something that they've rushed to. Mm. It's something that they've built up kind of in the background throughout this entire show in this entire season and so it's an earned redemption in my opinion and especially this episode how they keep interweaving his grief and him processing the decision that he made and just staying in bed and then sneaking out uh, into his house when you know his parents aren't around so he can just have some alone time to himself i love how that was all edited together because it allows us to have him still forefront in our mind but he doesn't necessarily dominate 
the the entire landscape of the episode mm. and i i just really enjoy how those tiny tiny scenes make such a dramatic impact on him as a character as well yeah. um leslie higgins yeah. a plus episode Jeremy i mean Swift, just baby. <laughs> like between this and between willy wonka i mean oh my god oh my like, god the willy on. wonka um, conversation absolutely destroyed me <laughs> oh, oh and just like understanding his place in that and i know we're we're jumping all around guys i understand we're gonna that, get but... to it in context guys don't worry we, we, we're yeah yeah of but, consciousness but here. leslie higgins uh, a plus effort tons of tedisms that come directly from ted at the beginning yeah. of this episode as well and i i do appreciate a good tedism so yeah uh a plus yeah. all well, around for and, me and i'm glad you went to nate there because i'll i'll give a little commentary on that after we get to the next senior because we are at nate's and jade is entering the room and he's hiding under the covers and she asks him or he asks her if he did the right thing quitting his job so this is the first time we learned that he left he voluntarily left the job at west ham um you know it wasn't some kind of firing or dismissal so jade asks him if he wishes he hadn't done it, he shakes his head no, and she says, well, there's your answer. And again, I love that Jade is just like his North Star now, in, in, in a way. It's just like, you know, she's, her no-nonsense nature really kind of cuts through all of the insecurities that Nate has um, and just gets him back down to, like, the nitty-gritty truth. So um, he says he basically just doesn't know what he's going to do now, and she asks if she wants him to – if she wants – if he wants her, sorry, to stay, um, but she's going to visit her family in Poland. There's a really funny light bulb joke there. We'll get to that. Um, but she uh, asks if she wants to go with him um, or if he wants to go with her. Um, and as she's leaving, uh, we see a bunch of reporters are out at the apartment gate. And so he's again, goes under the covers and is depressed as he feels like he can't go anywhere. And what I love about what you said, though, about Nate is that the whole story arc of Nate through this entire time, and I'm glad that we get it resolved at the end of this episode, but it starts with his dad, but he is looking for affirmation in all the wrong places. And it really starts at a young age because he feels inadequate. He feels inadequate from a young age because of how his father raised him. And we learn that there's a reason why his father did that. It wasn't like abusive so much as just like... Um, really kind of shook his confidence in everything that he did. And so he's constantly looking for affirmation in the wrong places. And when he finds the real true affirmation from Ted, when he doesn't get it all the time, he all of a sudden thinks that again, he's doing something wrong. It reminds him of mm -hmm. the, you know, not good enough nature of how his father raised him. And so then he gets, he gets Rupert and Rupert is telling him, um, you know, like, Oh, this is great. You know, be this killer, be this killer instinct thing. And then when he finally sees Rupert's true colors at bones and honey, it's all of a sudden, Nope, that's not what I want either. And that's not there. And so Nate is working through his self-confidence issues, but he needed this catharsis at the end of this episode. But you're right. I'm glad that we meet him here in this moment where he is at his lowest, so to speak. You know, he's had the taste of the mountain and he uh, kind of a lot like Keeley. What a transition because we're heading to KJRP, uh, KJPR. Do you have any other things with Nate there before we go to Keeley? I think we'll talk about Nate later and especially mm. Lloyd and his uh, his father yeah. and gosh, that's a scene and a half that to, scene is amazing. To, to dive into. So let's go ahead and go over to KJPR. Yeah, well, things are not well at KJPR because Keeley is seeing movers taking furniture out of the office. And look, we all see this hit coming, <laughs> but I love the way that like the editing and the actors slow play it here. The office is absolutely bare. Taryn, uh, Darren tells her that uh, she's the nicest uh, boss that he's ever had and the hottest, <laughs> which is conflicting for many ways. I think that's um, Dan, not Darren. Dan, I thought but... she said Darren, but maybe I got that. Okay. Isn't it Dan? It, it is isn't Dan. It Dan that you're gives totally the right. love, love speech. I love Dan. Yeah, you're right. Darren Dan there tells her that. <laughs> 
he's uh, leaving, but he packs very up and leaves and stuff, and he's very emotional. But she asks Barb what is happening, and Barb is very surprised here because Jack had reached out to Barb last night to tell her what was happening and said that she would reach out to Keely. And so Barb, I, I love, and again, like I got to look up the actress's name. I'm I'm ashamed that I haven't yet, but um, she plays this so freaking perfectly because she understands that like. This is going to be a blow to Keely, and she kind of hates that she's the one who has to deliver it, that it shouldn't be her that is delivering this blow. And I think she, I think Barb understands something about Jack in this moment um, that is definitely going to pay dividends later in the episode. But she basically says the board of the VC firm has pulled the funding and is shutting down KJPR, and Keely is just utterly devastated here. So, Craig, what are you thinking here about Jack is really kind of showing her true colors a bit and definitely shows her true colors with the text message later, but we're going to get there. But like, what do you think of Barb and everything about how, and again, we had to think that this was coming, but man, still devastating to see it happen. You know, it's just like Keely tries to go out. She talks about being an independent woman in season one and how she's really famous for being uh, somewhat famous, right? And mm -hmm. so she kind of is trying to develop her own sense of self. And we see that growth throughout season one and the marketing opportunities she's giving the players. And that's where we get some of those great scenes about where she's going out and trying to figure out what is it that you want to market? And we get mucho, mucho joy from Danny <laughs> Rojas and everything else. And then, you know, like through season season two, we get her really trying to come into her own and to develop not only personally with Roy, but also professionally and becoming someone that is really built on her own foundation mm. in a way that I don't think that she had been given the opportunity to do in the past. And yeah, so yeah. to see all that kind of crumple down, even just temporarily, it sucks, right? Mm. Like we want to root for Keely. We want to make sure that she continues to move forward. And the fact that it's done in a way because a relationship ended is just so damning to Jack, right? Like yeah. we already don't like Jack. We're not, we're anti-Jack on this podcast, but- um, <laughs> Sorry, Jody Balfour, you, you did great. <laughs> you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned the text later. I think it's important to mention here that she doesn't even own up to the fact mm. that it's her that pulls the funding. And so, so that's ugh. really frustrating as a- viewer to see not only that like because it, it's clear keely knows exactly what happened mm -hmm. the v, the vc Barb board knows what happened decide. like <laughs> yeah exactly like they all know and so i i do love that we also develop this relationship with barb uh throughout this yeah. season you know i think i mentioned at the beginning of this like uh are we more excited for shandy or are we more excited for barbara and i i mentioned barbara because Barb, i man. thought that she had more of a uh a growth and a development to have and we get to kind of see that come to fruition a little bit here in the relationship and the way that this is handled her leaving and then ultimately uh staying with uh K kjpr as well but man got a feel for keely jones right yeah not not a good look here and you're right like the the text message made me way angrier than this scene did um and i'll get to why in a little bit but, but yeah just again just a very good job here by barb um and everybody just really slow walking it out and again i'm gonna say this a couple of times in this episode but tom howe's music in this episode is incredible incredible this episode should win the music emmy whatever it is i don't even know what it's specifically called but like amazing work in this episode here for the, for the music um but let's let's get something a little happier here because you mentioned it craig Tell, talk to me about this plane scene with van damme and danny because so much fun you like danny with a savage move on van damme here talk to me about this <laughs> It's so funny. Like, it's just like a really good bit of brevity that this show always provides us to kind of 
understand that this is going to be an emotionally heavy and a narrative driven episode, but then to add in the subtext of just like this international match that we're going to get and to see Danny Rojas kind of have that <laughs> life put back into him uh, from how important football is to him. I mean, football is life to Danny Rojas. So it's not always just sunshine when you're coming up against a competitor, he's going to be savage like this. And <laughs> I just love the interactions that they have. Uh, I've talked a lot about facial expressions and acting and which by the way, Hannah, Hannah in this episode, Hannah. <laughs> but, uh, but these two also bring it right in a way that's just so much fun. Like Van Damme's look, like, look at his face. He's so happy. While the chips are being <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And then put on the floor of the plane. First of all, come on, Danny Rojas. Why are you doing that Danny. to, uh, to, uh, flight attendants everywhere real, Stand up flight attendants here, but <laughs> It is still just a remarkable little scene that we get. And then, of course, the the scene that we get later with them actually playing as well. Uh, and then, you know, tied all together by Danny coming back uh, at the end of this episode <laughs> and being such a Mr. Nice Guy and saying that, you know, stopping it with his nose, much like, um, you know, much like when Danny earlier in the season was able to score with his face, with his face. that that is like <laughs> one of the top 10 moments in uh, football history, right? So it's just great. Uh, I I love this. I love how much uh, Van Dam we've gotten this season yeah. because, you know, Judy is, he is crushing it this year, man. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you know, like he was so kind when we talked to him and just like he talked about the opportunities he was given and like this story. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. Like he basically was working at a Best Buy mm -hmm. and then was told to go pursue acting. I don't want to spoil the whole story for you. Yeah. But like to see his growth in this character it's so much fun and who knew that the writers would give us mo judy lamore and uh, uh you know to give us van damme now in this <laughs> season so much i mean it's just really cool so yeah, i loved it. it i mean like you call you call out uh mo's uh, facial expressions there christo crushes the scene i mean i know he's got sunglasses on but like the stone facedness and i love that like they edit jade level they, jade they, level it is and like stone they cold. edit the editing again is so great on this by melissa because they cut back to him three times crumpling that bag and it's just like the perfect amount of times to show like nope getting every last chip in there <laughs> and it's just danny buddy danny you're, you're making all this work for these flight attendants. I know he's your enemy now, but come on, man. Come on. You cannot do this. <laughs> oh, man, that scene cracked me up so much. But let's head back to the office here. Um, Ted and uh, Beard and Roy are walking back in. They basically said that, like, Sam is clearly affected by the Nigerian team news. He's not doing very well here. And Ted uh, tells him the story of, of course, Michael Jordan, the famous one, not making his varsity basketball team. And I just love the writing here that Sam just gives, like, the cult, the entire salient details of, like, what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> and just totally calls him out. I was just like, yeah, well, not as inspiring, but okay. Um, but of course, do you want to do this one as a Tedism or do you want to just mention it here? Because I you can you can just go ahead and mention we have so many Tedisms. It in is, this. but I I, we, I will give it to you. We gotta call it out because he just basically gives him the advice he gave him in the very I I, I wanna say the first episode or the even the second one, but just be a goldfish. Just continue to be a goldfish. Like, don't do that. And I think that's going to be the thing that ultimately gets him through this um, because there's a lot of stuff that Sam has to deal with and be a goldfish about in this episode. Um, so Beard uh, then tells him that he and Jane are doing some kind of axe-throwing uh, celebration tonight in honor of Nate's demise at West Ham and that she made targets uh, with uh, that are pictures of Nate, but the targets are over his junk. Uh, so that's fun. Um, he invites them, uh, Ted and Roy, but he says no. Roy definitely uh, just... 
rudely there. Um, and then I wrote down that, of course, now we know a little bit more about Coach Beard because we know that he has 17 axes, but not all of them are for throwing. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to keep going with this one, though, as well, because uh, we go back out into the hallway. Rebecca and Sam have this little awkward meeting there where she says she's sorry about the team. They're like doing like the buddy like arm punch thing. Like it's just so awkward. <laughs> These two still just don't know how to be around each other. Um but before we get into the lesson of that, okay, Craig, what do you think of like this kind of details here and, and like the be a goldfish mantra with Sam in the office? I love that it was brought back because, you know, in signs, we, Ted kind of, um, you know, really literally ripped some of <laughs> his mantras, right? Like mm -hmm. some of that lasso way. And I know why he did it and I understand why he did it, but just like to have that callback that he has this connection with Sam about being a goldfish and, um, and to know that like how much Ted understands that Nigeria means so much to Sam. One of the first things that we do is Ted throws Sam a birthday party yeah. because he's homesick he's for homesick. Nigeria. And so, and he knows that he has the 1994 world cup team in his locker because he's going to play for that team someday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just wish, I, I do wish that we've got, we'd get a better conclusion to that in the next couple of episodes. I don't think that, you know, Edwin Akufu is going anywhere and that he's going to be suddenly welcomed into the international team, but we know that Sam deserves it. And so does Jamie. And so like going all the way back to the beginning and Jamie being the one to console him when really, when Jamie came back to the team in episode three of, uh, of season two, that, like that was, or I guess it was episode two. And then in episode three, that's when Jamie so covers the, the Dubai yeah. air. Um, but, you know, like the fact that these two had kind of an antagonist streak with them throughout the first season and early parts of the second season. And now that they're really brothers and they really respect each other. Again, it's just a, a lot of this team coming together as well. I do the awkwardness between Rebecca and Sam in the hallway is palpable <laughs> yeah. and it made me feel awkward. So well done to Tahib and Hannah there yeah. for making us all feel awkward uh, with the little like fist jab. <laughs> oh, and every, like, oh my it's gosh, everything about that. Oh, it's terrible. Um, but, um, and, and here's what I'm going to say before we move on. Um, Anthony head is kind of, I think my MVP of this episode Anthony Head has an amazing display in this episode. He is acting his ass off in this. And there's going to be a lot of conversations that I want to have with you about Rupert in this episode here, Craig. And I'll just tease it with this. Could it be that Rupert is doing better as, as Rebecca asked him to do or told him to do earlier this season? I'm just going to put that out there. I'm just going to put it out there. We don't have to talk well, about but that it is, right now. You're surmising there. I, I still think that Rupert is an ultimate villain here. And so anything that he wants is through manipulation. So uh, even when he's trying to potentially, like she connects him back to his past. And I think that that is real later on in the episode, but I still just see him as someone that gaslights and manipulates. And so if Nate really did leave because the rumors are true that there was inappropriate work behavior and we see that Rupert has a new assistant, I don't think that Rupert went ahead and got a new assistant because he wants to do better. I think something happened there. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, and I mean, like, I can understand that there there might be glimpses of redemption. Everybody can be redeemed. And so I think it was Luke Tenney actually that said, like, I would love for Rupert to be redeemed yeah. when he met with us in the halfway point of the season. So Maybe it's possible, but like I'm well, still it, yeah, not let me there. Get, let me get this straight. I don't think Rupert's putting a belief sign up in his office or anything like that. But what I noticed a lot about Anthony Head's performance in this episode is that 
he seems way less confident than Rupert normally is in this episode. Even in this scene in Rebecca's office, like, you know, he's wondering where the Hockney is and everything like that when she walks in. Um, she's obviously already surprised. Um, and, of course, the Hockney that she got rid of in the very first episode, also the very first scene almost of this series. Um, and uh, he basically tells her, like, he snuck in with Renee's secret entrance that we saw um, in Beard After Hours um, that Renee has to get into Nelson Road. Um Basically, he says, though, that Rupert says he wants Rebecca to come to the meeting about the Akufu League, and um, he wants her to be a part of it, that it could be great for the game, um, and she tells him that she'll think about it. Um, and he remarks on his first game sneaking into the stadium. Did you have this down as a tedism? Because I don't know if I did, but it's a sick burn. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have it down as a tedism. I had yeah. another uh, Anthony headline later. Yeah, yeah, but she's, he says he uh, remembers sneaking into his first game into the stadium, and she says yes when it was lit by candlelight. <laughs> Which is, again, just an amazing, amazing burn there. Um, but um, as he's leaving, though, she asks what happened with Nate. And he responds that some people just aren't ready when they get their shot. And this is interesting to me, uh, Craig, because it looks like she's a little shook by this uh, statement. Um, like maybe she's putting a little bit of that onto herself as well, because she definitely is having some self-confidence issues, as she's always said about like when she has to meet up with other uh, football owners and stuff like that. Um, but again, like when she like tells him, like, why don't you make an appointment? He seems to just have this like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, it's not like a smarminess. It seems like a, oh, yeah. Like, it, it seems like he's like all of a sudden, like, cares about the rudeness you know what i mean like mm -hmm. when that's just kind of been their dynamic this whole time it, it's a it's a different look that he's giving us here and so it's it leads me to question some things yeah i just don't still i still don't know if it's like especially at this point in the episode i can understand what you're saying if we're talking uh in a few scenes from now where she brings him back to his football roots yeah. into being that poor kid that had to sneak into richmond oh, games man. and then ultimately going back and him at the end the of that is there is there's a lot going on at the end of that in Rupert's head. Yeah, I can understand growth there. I think this is still all full manipulation. And I think that he also doesn't like the fact that Nate stood up to him. And so yeah. I think that uh, in saying that some people just aren't ready for their opportunity when they get the shot, um, that also is belittling to Nate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's how I read it um, from his perspective and, and how Rupert's coming at this. Yeah. And I just. I still love that, like the that they they just deck this guy out in all black all the time. I mean, they <laughs> they may as well just put him in some some robes. Just give him a hood. Maybe yeah. <laughs> give him a hood uh, and just make him full Emperor Palpatine here. But um, yeah, can we get on to Uncle Roy Day because Dude. it might be my favorite holiday of the year. Uncle's Day, everyone. We are at Roy's sister's house. Do we know her name? I don't know if I remember it or not. Um, I don't know. It's not. It's... I don't don't believe it's said in the episode. But did you catch? I believe this actress is the same actress who played in the ER doctor. That's what I was uh, telling Sarah, the ER doctor who worked on Sharon uh, in yep. season two. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm pretty sure so. you're right. Um, but anyway, we are at Roy's sister's house. She and Roy and Phoebe are celebrating Uncle's Day, which is, of course, uh, Phoebe's, uh, I think she said, third favorite uh, holiday behind Roy's birthday and uh, some Nordic festival about warding off winter. Um, no, this is this is his this is her first. Oh, favorite holiday. this is her and first. And then the second one is Uncle Roy's Day. And then the third one is the uh, fending off evil, evil spirits <laughs> that are coming to get winter or whatever it was. Yeah. Yes, which Roy, again, rightfully calls her a geek. And all the best people are, guys. So um, come and be geek with all of us um but the bell rings and jamie enters and this is i'm not kidding you man like sarah and i literally teared up at this because roy asked what he's doing there and phoebe says well i had to invite your best friend <laughs> it's just, 
this amazing amount of comedy here. Phil is perfect in this scene. He's playing this smarminess, but he's basically like, well, you talk about him all the time and you spend every day together. And it's just kind of like, are Roy and Jamie best friends, Craig? They really are. And like, it's so great that Phoebe is from the one that brings it together because fans have been clamoring for more Phoebe this season. Yes. And so the fact that we get it, because remember, she's the one that kind of dropped some truth bombs in that first episode of season yeah. uh, three during Mean Spirit when she was talking about Keely and Roy mm -hmm. and divorce and breakups and all that. But then we haven't seen her since then. And so it's really cool to get here now because like out of the mouths of babes man sometimes mm. that just like the truth that comes out like yeah this is guy's your your best friend and then roy and jamie at the same time saying oh he's not my best friend and then when uh phoebe says like oh well who is your best friend and he like, says i don't know isaac, isaac. And yeah then, and, then and then roy, takes roy is just like fuck off yeah. <laughs> you know <or> whatever <laughs> it's clear like, it's clear that they are best friends everyone okay roy and jamie joy let's just call it joy <laughs> here so um but this is great because phoebe uh, tells roy to open jamie's gift that he brought and he says this is actually a really touching gift and with it, a fantastic joke because he says it's his original england kit from the 2014 world cup um and, but he says he got them to change the e in his last name to a u which is absolutely fantastic i am not saying it um and i love this too though again editing is so important here because they cut to Phoebe, who doesn't understand what he, why he did that. And then as Roy tells him that he loves it, all of a sudden, then she gets it and she makes him pay the pound for swearing, which is, again, just absolutely it's that, fantastic. It's that, it's that little, it's that little, oh, that she uh, does like when she finally gets it. Like, <laughs> oh, so great. So great. Yeah. But then it's not the only gift. Uh, Phoebe is giving her his and it's a tie dye shirt in the colors of red, orange and yellow um, that she made at school because, of course, red, orange and yellow are the letters of his name. And it spells Roy. That might be the most adorable gift of all time. <laughs> he reluctantly thanks her for it she's very excited and uh, apparently there's going to be a performance with an intermission that they're going to put on um, but of course we couldn't end the scene without jamie being jamie where he says that roy's sister is fit and he threatens to uh cut out his eyes <laughs> which roy, and, roy in that moment i uh, just well i will cut your eyes out and i don't know <laughs> do you think phil like broke character there or was that like just jamie being like you know i don't know that is like, I, again i don't want to presume that uh the editors of this show like have enough time in their day to to listen to this episode but aj please well, uh, i think this was melissa so if you, if you <laughs> either well one. this is melissa's episode but at the same time i mean i'm sure they're both like watching it but if I, either of you can let us know is this a break because that was you at know that first thought i thought he broke season. character yeah <laughs> that that happened earlier in the season and it was confirmed by i believe aj that uh in fact jamie did not break character yeah that that was just uh, what he was instance. doing that, that 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 was just what his character would have done but i do want to know did because it, it was great i mean like the line the, delivery the way, is so like, good <laughs> i kind of hope it was a break in character honestly because it was just so perfectly delivered um and it was just a great interaction i also love that like roy is forced to say thank you to phoebe <laughs> and his sister is just like she put a lot of thought She's into very this excited She's for really you to open this to, to you you know uh all of that god i just love uh it turns out, you know, I mentioned it like at least once an episode. It turns out, guys, I like this show. This yeah. Ted Lasso yeah, I show. I like this I show like a little it. bit, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, if you're like me and you were thinking maybe uh, Rupert is not as dastardly in this episode, hang on, folks, because we've got a bench player coming in. Uh, we go to Ola's, and Sam thought that they were fully booked, but all the reservations canceled except for one, and our dear, dear friend Edwin Akufu is back. So, Sam Richardson, welcome back. And again, I, I do kind of appreciate in this scene that um, – 
they really give Sam Richardson just his free reign to just be himself again in this scene because you know there's a certain amount of like dastardliness where he's like he's got the Times food critic there they're saying all these terrible things to Sam about you know like oh it's good to put a face to the truly awful person or something like that it's just like really stupid we learn that Edwin's going to be opening his own Nigerian restaurant 20 miles away um, or you know 20 minutes away I think he said and it's 20 meters away 20 meters away yeah sorry yeah Um, so it's gonna be like very he means it's gonna be like right next door right next and then door. that way it's going to be direct competition yeah except he's also going to uh, serve chicago style hot dogs because they're his favorite food which i don't know why but that tracks very very well <laughs> and we get more depth on that later but um he said also though that all those reservations were made by him and again this is where i swear the directors were just like sam richardson just like do as many voices as you want and again we get to see guys sam richardson is so talented like if you don't know like go and find a lot of his stuff online he is so talented and i love that they just let him cut loose here but he also tells sam here did you have a favorite impression that he did Ooh, I think I kind of like the American one, or at least the one like also like bring out your best Nigerian cheeses. <laughs> that was great because yeah, what a I loved uh, I loved that it was like a I, I couldn't tell if it was a Star Trek deep cut. I mean, clearly the Picard part was. Yeah. But like, I mean, you know, he didn't necessarily mimic or talk like Patrick Stewart. He talked more like a Frenchman, you know, but yeah. I did love that he used the word Picard. So um, <laughs> I, I'll count that in a show that is in a show that is just dripping with Star Wars. The fact that we got a slight reference to Star Trek uh, in there as well. I, I all take you it. Trekkies can feel very, very good. No, they're all fantastic. And again, here's a funny thing: like you shut your eyes, they sound like different people, man. They really do. Like Sam Richardson is amazing. But of course, he we learn here as well as he's leaving. Um, and Sam is staying above this, and I do not know how. I would have punched this guy's lights out like a million times during this scene. But we also learn as the final cut that Sam or that Edwin basically bribed the Nigerian government with twenty million dollars to keep Sam off the team off the national team um and then we get an amazing bit with francis at the end here playing the uh up high down low too slow game um i again like this is a pretty like devastating scene again especially for a character we care so much about and to cut it down there at the end with like this reluctant like oh no don't make me do this game like with francis i thought was actually a good way to kind of cut the tension of the scene but craig i mean death to edwin akufu right (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, he's just, he's brought in just to be this, like, evil villain that all of us now really despise. Because remember that turn that happened in season two? And he so just went full Akufu yeah. on him. And he's going to go full, we're going to get a full Akufu here <laughs> yeah, later Yeah, it's on coming too. back. And, like, it just, I, 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 man, the acting that's done in these scenes is just wonderful. And then, like, his henchmen are a lot of fun to yeah, have Francis, around, too, man. To, have some, <laughs> to have people to just kind of play off of. Uh, and I really enjoyed this scene. Not the outcome for our good boy, Sam, because he is standing strong and he's standing there, you know, and that, like, that speaks to the character that we've come to love in mm. Sam Obasanya because he wouldn't, I don't think, I'd be, you know, like, I, I think it's in his character to stand up strong. And I think that that's, you know, could, to kind of dig deeper into that. We just met uh, Ola not mm. too long ago. And the advice that he gave him to not fight back, but fight forward. Mm. And uh, that's, if that's the kind of mentality and stuff that you're growing up with, then this is exactly the response that his father would expect of him. Yeah. And I mean, there's something to be said, like when you stay above it all, like directly to a bully's face like that, um, more of a psychological bully, not a prototypical, like physical one, but you know, like, 
you would think that that would like get under their skin a little bit more because I think clearly what Akufu wants here is for like Sam to like look dejected mm-hmm. and stuff like in him and like right at his face, but he doesn't. Like even when he tells him about the Nigerian team, you're right. Like he doesn't. He looks disappointed, but he doesn't look like devastated or anything like that. He's keeping his head up, and that's got to really get under Akufu's skin a, a bit here, yeah. um, even as he's leaving. But again, just a fantastic way of Sam Richardson singing that never <laughs> to his face and everything again. Uh, Tahib, I don't know how you keep straight faces with this guy <laughs> when you're acting off of him, but uh, well done. Just well done there. Um, so we uh, then cut back, though, to uh, Nate. Uh, he is still in bed, but he's seen that the reporters have gone, so he takes this time to sneak back into his parents' house because he doesn't have the key. Um, and, you know, his mom is very supportive there. He's just like, oh, you know, do you want something to eat? But he basically says, like, I just I just want to go and sleep. And what Sarah comments on room. He wants his He wants yeah, his comfort in and, his and room like, and his bed. Sarah commented on this when we were watching. She was just like, man, sometimes you just need your mom, <laughs> you know, and like you just. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but to kind of and this is kind of where we get the everyone down and out like sequence of this episode as well, because we go back to KJRP or KJPR. God, I keep doing that. Um, And it, the name is now X'd out on the walls of the office building where it is. And uh, that's just devastating. And Keeley. She pushes the elevators, but when they open, like, she just can't get on. She just can't go up there and do it. And so she's basically spiraling um, at this point. Um, To cut into kind of the sadness of that, though, we go back to Nelson Road, and Rebecca bursts into Higgins' office and forces him to spill his tea. How many times has Higgins spilled his tea this season? Because the count has got to be at least three um, at this point. All the times. All the times. Leslie, just get a tumbler, man. Get a tumbler. He's like, no, it's not too bad. And then he spills spills all the rest of it on his pants. Um, But you talked about this. See, this is great. Like, you know, Rebecca basically says she needs some advice, um, and she wants to know if she should go to the meeting. There's a funny bit where she goes, you know, Leslie goes through all the other people she tried to talk to um, before getting to him. But, um, you know, and I won't spoil the Willy Wonka line because it's absolutely great, but uh, they share like this funny little thing, but he basically uh, tells her, sorry, he basically tells her that, you know, it doesn't matter why Rupert wanted you there. She's worried that Rupert only wanted her at the meeting because she's a woman and it'll make the league look good if there's a woman owner. And he says, it doesn't matter why. You've got a seat at the table, so you need to go and see what's what. Again, Higgins just dropping all the truth bombs on her. Um, let's Before we get to the crown and anchor, what did you think of this little batch of scenes here with Nate, K, KJPR, and Rebecca at Nelson Road? Yeah, I just love that we see Nate and Keeley almost at a parallel here where yeah. they're, uh, they're now both, at this moment at least, both out of a job. Mm-hmm. And so we identify so much as humans with uh, our place of employment as uh, kind of that – it's part of us, right? Damn, like as true. much as we'd like to talk about work-life balance, actually one of my colleagues at the university just said, we need to start turning that around and calling it life work balance. Life work balance. But, yeah. um, but still like as much as we want to say that that's important to us, both of these individuals lost their job, one through their own choice, one through quitting. And the other one uh, basically has just gotten the funding pulled out from under her. And so she doesn't know where to go either. So I thought it was a nice parallel that we get uh, interwoven scenes of both of them kind of throughout the rest of the episode. Mm. as we start to go, draw towards a conclusion uh, of course Roy bringing that conclusion to Keeley and then ultimately Rebecca helping her out and then also uh, with Nate and his family and really coming to his rescue there and particularly Lloyd uh, Shelley who just ugh, mm. I can't wait to get to that scene but uh, I do think I love that Leslie Higgins is kind of the Jiminy Cricket of this show really he is, has been really is. Uh, well yeah and I mean like he he has been like of course at the beginning of the show you know he's kind of a pushover and he um 
he is kind of like, okay, this is the relationship that I had with Rupert and this is what's going to be with Rebecca. But remember, there's that turning point where he really stands up to Rebecca yeah. and says like enough of this major league subplot. Oh man, it's so great like, too because he literally, and just because you made me think of it, he literally says to her, like he apologizes for his role in Rupert's cheating. But then do you remember what he says to her? He literally just says one word. He just looks at her and he says, but stop. And yeah. that is that was just like, oh, like it, it's not even just like, a, oh, you're better than this. Oh, you don't need to worry about it. It's literally just like you're doing wrong. You know it. Just stop. Like, yeah. and yeah. And ever since then, you're right. I, and I love that. Like she he goes through, you know, did uh, you talk to Keely? Did you talk to Ted? Yeah. Did you talk Sassy. to Sassy? <laughs> and then did you talk to your mom? And she's like, are you insane? Yeah, yeah I love that. Um, and just the interaction between uh, Leslie and Rebecca here that has grown so much leaps mm -hmm. and bounds over the three seasons that we've come to know them. But I kind of forgot that Keely would not have interacted with May before. I have and never even thought about this, this but Keely's, the, this Keely's is never the been interaction there. that I think that we all needed that we didn't know we needed. Keely's never been to the Crown and Anchor, it appears. Like Which I mean it's kinda wild. I mean, isn't it? Like I but mean, maybe not. Looking back, yeah. I mean she has it, but it's like it's absolutely insane, at least as far as we've seen. But yes, we cut to the Crown and Anchor and Keely is drinking her sorrows away. Um and this is oh God, Craig. Mm. The amount of bullshit this is, and I'm sorry, folks, for the cursing, but uh, Jack sends her a text as she's sitting there drinking and basically says, oh, I'm still on Argentinian time. Like, I've been, like, so scattered and stuff. There was nothing I could do about the board's decision. Womp womp, Jack. I call Come on, Jack. absolute. As I, I was so angry with that. I was just like, A, it's a bullshit reason. B, it is utterly BS that you send that after the fact, after you know that now Barb has been the one to tell her. Like, Jack is showing herself to be such a freaking coward in this moment, and it is astounding because now you look back at their relationship, man, and especially once the video came out, everything is cowardice. You know, oh, it was my dad's mm -hmm. lawyers who wrote that up and stuff. Oh, you know, this is my friend Keely Jones uh, to the to her other friend at the mini golf place. The cowardice on Jack here, cutting and running when Keely says, no, I'm not going to apologize for it. This is such BS. And we see clearly what Jack is now. After trying to like white knight her in the office and like announcing the relationship publicly and doing all those acts of love bombing that we uh, talked about. And like, you know, like I just, ugh. Damn, Jack. Damn coward. Ugh. Damn, damn coward. <sighs> anyway, let's get to something a lot better in this scene, though, because May comes over and pulls her a drink. And you're right. This is the first time she and May have ever had a conversation. And it's fantastic. I I don't know if you wrote it as the Tedism, what like her yes. name is short for. Oh, yeah, I liked I liked that. Yeah. And I didn't write that as a Tedism. Go ahead. I, I almost jumped the gun there because I'm so excited to talk about a connection that I made that maybe is a tertiary connection that I'm just nice. drawing from myself. I like it, though. But well, I wrote down here, like basically their entire conversation is a Tedism. Uh, May is just full of amazing wisdom here. But I do love that, you know, Keely says like, oh, that's a really like, you know, beautiful name. Is it short for something? And May goes, maybe. And she goes like, oh, is this your place? Maybe. <laughs> Just again, yeah. you got to think like some drunk stuff there, but uh, you know, it's it's pretty fantastic. But, um, you know, like most of this scene though is just Keely asking, he's like, Oh, you know, is it hard to be the boss and everything like that? And May just kind of gives her the kick in the ass that she needs to, like, when it comes to like a lot of these. Like I said, I wrote down the entire conversation basically as a Tedism. So, uh, how do you what do you feel about this scene trying no. to get around some of those lines? <laughs> 
Well, here's the deal. I, I think that we should talk about one of the lines in more context than we yeah. would traditionally in a Tedism section. So I'm going to mention it here. She says to Keeley, uh, like an old man said, once you make it to the top of the mountain, what's left for you but lightning? Mm -hmm. And this is only in my estimation the second time that really lightning is brought up by anybody in this show mm. and who is it that brings up lightning first that would be mr roy kent because he says don't you dare settle for fine you got to get somebody that makes you feel like fucking lightning yep. right and so my thing is here and then of course it's followed up with well is lightning a good thing or a bad thing in all of us fans should be screaming, it is a good thing, good thing because you've got Roy Kent over there who's going to make you feel like lightning because you know what, Keely, even though you got fired, even though your your funding is pulled, you have started to, to climb that mountain. You've been working your butt off and you are at the top of that mountain. And what's good up there is the lightning. It's someone mm. that's going to make you feel like lightning. So I... I, immediately that's where my mind went. I don't know if, you know, like if that was, I, I can't imagine that wasn't the intention of the writers because they're also damn smart, but yeah, like I just, that that's immediately where my mind went when, because lightning is one of those things that kind of caught on as a Roy Kentism. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think that it's, it's, that's the connection that they're trying to make here. Yeah, what do I, you think? I think you're absolutely right, especially because you remember when Keely asks, is it a good or a bad thing? And what does May say back to her? Depends on whether you're ready for it or not. And yep. I think like what you're finding here is that if Keely might have had some kind of reservation about getting back with Roy based on how the relationship ended, she's definitely at a point now. And I think we're going to see this paralleled with Roy's epiphany later that maybe most of the bad things that both of them experience now in their lives is because they kept getting in the way there. Roy takes responsibility for most of that. But yeah, it is kind of Keely at this point too, like, you know, with the Jack relationship and with everything else and how she's been conflicted this year about, you know, like every time somebody asks her about like her ex-boyfriend and stuff is like, oh, you know, the footballer is like, oh, no, yes, this like she keeps waffling between thinking about Jamie and thinking about Roy and then this, this relationship with Jack. And it is you're right. I think this key moment here she needs to hear is that, you know, sometimes things are going to go good. Some things are going to go bad. But, you know, you've got to be ready for things when they're ready for you. And. I think that's definitely what May does here. It's what May gives her um, in that moment. Um, so it's actually just really, really, really awesome. You know, we got to hand it to International Break. Uh, it's the second episode now that's required two recording sessions. Hey, everyone, we're back. <laughs> this episode is too big for anything. Craig, how how'd the time jump treat you? Well, I, I didn't go see a show about Van Gogh tonight uh, like I did before That's in true. Sunflowers. Bring us, bring us inside. I did have a really great night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all and right. I'm back to talk more lasso. That's right, because it, it, there's a lot more to get to in this episode, folks. So let's keep it trucking along here. We left off after May and Keeley share their uh, Tedism-filled moments there at the Crown and Anchor. Um, we actually have another little quick scene of Nate's mom bringing him some food um, and tucking him in. And again, just what I said that Sarah said earlier about like sometimes you really just need your 
mom. And we're going to see his mom taking care of him a lot uh, throughout the rest of this episode, bringing him food on a tray, just knocking on the door. Just She has this intuitiveness, doesn't she? That like She knows Nate doesn't want to be disturbed. He doesn't want to talk yet, like everything. It, it, it's pretty sweet and everything like that. But what's coming up here is Roy is going to be entering the locker room here in Phoebe's tie-dye shirt. Um, and this, this portends a lot of important things. First of all, it's all set to Nick Cave's uh, Red Right Hand, which, of course, if you're a, f- a fan of the Scream franchise, you know this song very well. Um, but it's typically like a, a song about like uh, death and, and murder and stuff like that. Um, so it's weird that we have this one in there, but it does kind of always it, it also kind of pretends like a, you know, just enigmatic person entering a room, so to speak. So that, that kind of fits there. Um, but yeah, he's entering and everybody is taking notice of this bright tie-dye wearing Roy Kent now. Um, and we get the return of Laughing Liam. He's back. I was wondering if you were going to mention <laughs> Laughing Liam and how long it was going to take, but I'm so glad our buddy is back. Yeah, but I mean, he only gets a little bit of a laugh out because Roy is given the death stare and stuff. And this is this is really just a, a fun sequence here about all of them just being stunned about kind of this. Like, what is what is what, what were you thinking as like this whole scene is playing out? Especially, this is a lot of facial acting. I just love that because like the persona that is Roy Kent walking into a locker room, and so all of us as an audience also think it's kind of funny and hilarious, and also sort of disconcerting that he's he's in here in a tie dye shirt. Like yeah. just, you know, like all of it is. Uh, I thought it was really funny. I thought the facial expressions were great. Like I was, I mean, I've been talking about the facial expressions like this entire season and how uh, just on point they are, and it, it like it goes to all of the people even throughout all of Richmond, you know, characters that we don't necessarily get to spend a lot of time with. And I thought that Roy walking in, making his presence known uh, was just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, there's a few little call outs here. I mean, I love how um, <laughs> Beard's remark of, of surprise is bocce balls, um, which is just pretty fantastic. Um, Ball balls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then he also does uh, kind of like a Steve Martin from uh, from Three Amigos here trying to get Ted's attention, like with the bird noises. Uh, at least that's what I thought of. I thought of like when they're sneaking back in in that movie and he's like literally two feet from them, but they act like they can't hear him. Um, if you don't know what i'm talking about find it online it's absolutely hilarious um but uh everybody notices trent notices they all stare in kind of bewilderment together but then they all sort of also have this like approving stunned nod i mean it's just kind of weird there um but uh so after that though uh keely is back at the bar and she builds a pyramid out of coasters uh which is fantastic uh always bar games and stuff like that um and nate's uh, mom we see bringing him a soup and sandwich to nate's door just knocking and leaving it there um but then once we get back into the locker room as well we see that the team is watching the mexico canada game um and we found out from some of our uh listeners here um as we're recording this a little later in the day um that there's some very special voices as the commentators right craig ryan styles and colin mockery i would have not caught that so well done to our listeners they're always so much better than us at this you you all should have podcasts that we can go and listen to because uh, (laughs) it's great that they're just in the credits and again this is a great line that i mentioned earlier uh, when we were recording but just that like they talk about there's a lot of blood there for gosh sakes. And then apologize there for the language folks. Like just <laughs> sorry, how, <laughs> how Canadian the commentating commentating is for sure. 
tragically Canadian. But uh, Danny makes good on his promise in this game. He goes on a breakaway, and as he's trying to get that ball on the goal, that ball goes straight into Van Damme's face, and we see a lot of blood there, and we learn later that he, in fact, also has a broken nose from this. So uh, Danny... Making make it true on his prophecy at the beginning of this episode, making Van Dam his bitch. Um, so <laughs> at least uh, injuring him to the point where he probably couldn't go on. Um, so now we are back in Rebecca's office, uh, and she's reading some stories about the Akufa League um, in here. Um, and she, out of her purse, as she hears the text message buzzing, pulls out, smushed together somehow in her purse, the green Ola's matchbook and Ted's army man and puts them on the desk. Rupert texts her to once again see if she's coming in the meeting. She stares at the army man and then texts back, yes. Craig, have at it, my man. I, I will tell you that as soon as I saw the scene, I did a wellness check on Tori Weber from their soulmates. Yes. She's doing okay. <laughs> um, she'll be having an episode coming out later this, this week. But it's just interesting that, like, you know, these writers, they just like to play with our emotions, right? So, yeah, of course, this is we, total see the green, manipulation. we see the green matchbook that Tish is predicting here at the beginning of the season. But then we also see Ted's army man right there with the green matchbook. So, I don't know where that's going. And we Rebecca's only have two, two episodes men. left here, guys. Yep, Rebecca's two men right there uh, side by side in her purse here. Although, you know, and you do remember, though, like he gives her this army man, God, episode one or two. I want to say two. Um, that's when the care package comes, I believe, of of season one. And it's about uh, Ernie Lowndes, the uh, reporter for The Sun. And he says, you know, if that turkey comes in here, this is your first line of defense. So maybe this is like, I guess, in Rebecca's mind, it's giving her the courage to say, yes, I'm going to go to this meeting, even if I don't feel, you know, completely comfortable. Like that's kind of where I took that, you know, like Ted telling her and giving her the strength subconsciously through the army, man. Um, so great, great, good stuff there. Well, and I certainly um, might be reading into it more, but like, that's what we do. We have an entire podcast about a TV show, right? So <laughs> I, you know, I, I would say that it's interesting to me that Rebecca has the army man still in her purse as well. Yeah. Um, because this was given at this time in the show, that was three seasons ago. Now, granted, she could have just put it in there, and it, but it, but I, I don't know. It just seems like I think it was put in there intentionally and that she carries that around with her. Uh, and whether or not that's because, like you said, it's sort of like a, a courage coin of sorts or whatever it is, <laughs> but it allows, like, I think that there's certainly a connection there between Rebecca and Ted that I think we'll be exploring even more in the last couple of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, part of that is we've got some time to do it now because we resolved a lot of things. So hell, hell to the yes. Well, anyway, Roy is leaving the stadium. He's greeted by another man in a tie dye shirt, um, annoying him to no, to no end. Um, and he, I don't know about you, Craig, but when I saw this, I was like kind of stunned because he takes the shirt off and throws it on the ground. I was like, no, 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 and no, no, no. And he drives away. He drives away. But then before we're even out of the frame, we hold the shot and he goes back and picks it up. And I was like, damn right. You're picking that shirt up, Roy. Come on now. Um, then we cut back to Keeley again. She is still kind of just drunkenly walking around Richmond Green. Um, and she notices something in a uh, shop window. And I do love that uh, Rebecca is following Ted's example. When you are texting someone who's not texting you back, you start with just the regular text messages and then go straight to the gift. 
gifts, um, which is great. She does uh, Adele's uh, hello um, from there, uh, get, trying to get Keely's attention. This is literally exactly what Ted does in Sunflowers. He sends her a bunch of gifts as well um, when he doesn't get any responses. Um and then uh, we see, once again, a little uh, thing of Nate's mother picking up more dishes. And as she's bringing them to the kitchen, this is when we see that his father is actually starting to kind of take notice of this. And he kind of looks a little pensive as he look, uh, looks up from his uh, puzzles that he likes to do. So um, what do you think of this kind of mishmash of scenes right here, uh, Craig? What's What was in your brain? I just, I, you know, I the Nate thing is what kind of sticks out to me. Again, like the fact that we keep coming back to... Nathan in his room and not really like wanting to get out of that space, wanting to feel comfortable, mm. uh, his mom taking care of him. I just think that, you know, like in a way, like we kind of see not so much the wonder, but we see the kid in this episode, right? Like we get to see him sort of in his own space and needing that, that room because he's made this decision to leave basically what this job that he would have dreamed about having. I mean, just think about the first second we see Nathan, when Ted walks onto that pitch, when they first arrive in London and they're in, or they're in Richmond and then you see Nate like run all the way over and tell him to get off the grass. Like he, like this is like a sacred space for him. And so, um, mm. you know, this is going to have a major impact on him. So I, I definitely uh, appreciated that and seeing all of that as well. But I did, I mean, like we had to see Roy pick back up that shirt, right? Like, first of all, of course, Roy <laughs> Kent's going to be driving around with no shirt on, uh, that, yeah. that checks out, but like, well, he also just needs to pick up that shirt. And realize that Phoebe made it for him, and Phoebe is more important to him than just about anything else in the world, and he needs to get over himself and put on that tie-dye shirt. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are next going to the next morning in a scene that got me straight in the feels uh, as we see Rebecca getting ready in front of the mirror. Um, and she is feeling very apprehensive. But as she looks in the mirror, she sees the little girl in pigtails. And this is exactly how she described herself in season two um, when coincidentally she's giving Nate lessons on how to have more confidence um, and kind of inadvertently gives him the spitting in the mirror technique. Like she doesn't tell him to do that, but she tells him to do something that makes him feel big like she does here um but yeah all the way back to season two because she mentions like will you ever walk into a room full of football owners you know i feel like a little girl in pigtails and stuff like and that and so it's amazing to me that you know right here we see her very apprehensive but then as she's looking at that she does her make herself big and then the reflection changes back to her and she is filled with confidence and again i mentioned it earlier but Tom Howe's music in this part of this episode is so good here. The emotions are running very, very high. Um, and yeah, it just really got me. What about you? Such a brief scene, but it means so much. It has so much impact to us because we've come to see the character growth and development of Rebecca Welton and to see her kind of uh, getting herself excited or pumped up for this meeting that she's going to go into. And she knows it's an all boys club that she's walking into. That's mm -hmm. why she's worried about being invited because she thinks that she's the only woman that's coming and they just want her because she's a woman. Um, but you know, I, I, I love this and I yeah. mentioned it, I think last week or the week before that, um, that Hannah is the best actor on this, uh, show. And <laughs> she shows it again here with the, just the, the facial expressions that she gives it's after she does the hiss and then she's looking at herself in the mirror and the, the facial expressions she's giving to us as an audience it's mm. just like you can see that she does she's kind of taken that full control and that she's ready to move forward and the fact that you can do that in just a look like that mm. is just absolutely remarkable 
And you're right, man. It, it, it hit me in the feels because like, this is someone that uh, has had to persevere over all of this crap going all the way back to the gala and like how she is worried about how her pictures are going to be looked at and perceived and all of this, like all that garbage that like you and I wouldn't have to deal with if we were billionaire football owners. Right. (laughs) Right. But like, I, I just, I just love seeing that little girl and seeing what she's become. And in a way we've seen that growth and development over three seasons as well, just in her character. A very good emotional scene there from uh, Rebecca, but now it's time for the return of one of my favorite characters, Craig. Ms. Boa and Roy is walking Phoebe into school with the tie-dye shirt still on, so he is still wearing it. Um, and Ms. Bowen comes over to talk, and we learn that her first name is actually Leanne. Fantastic. Um, and I gotta say, there's still chemistry here between them. They they still do have a chemistry, just like they're seeing in season two. Um, but she says that he looks lighter than the last time she saw him, that he seems like less stuck. Um, and he comments on like, well, wait, weren't you flirting with me? Even when I was a mess, she says that I, she doesn't mind cleaning up a mess um, and that she just hopes that the mess didn't cause too much damage. And this is actually a moment that makes you stop, Craig, a little bit, because Roy has what I can only describe as a moment of very deep clarity here. Um, and I love that he's about to curse and say the F word, but he turns it into fudge at the end because, of course, this is a conversation he and Ms. Bowen have had. Um, and uh, Ms. Bowen is actually disappointed and she brings back her uh, nickname that all the kids call her, which is one of my favorite nicknames ever, but I will not say it here for appropriate sake. Um, then uh, back at KJPR, uh, the office is bare as Barb wears a tracksuit with the words juicy written on what I think was the back and the butt. Um, so we're just going to put it both, that way. Both the back and the both butt. The back. Barb is double G. Yeah, and the butt. And Keely, I love it because he says that, uh, no, I don't know. Is it a tennism? Did you write it down? I had it down as a Tedism, but it's totally fine. Yeah. I just love <laughs> it, though, because, again, it's just Barb's, like, sense of humor. It's just like, I like clothes that tell the truth. Um, excellent. It's absolutely excellent. Um, but Keely, uh, we see what she saw in the uh, shop window. It was a Richmond green snow globe and told her that she wished she that they could work together longer and that she is fun. Um, and this is a, clearly a very meaningful scene between them. She does uh, break this, though, by asking for the receipt uh, before leaving, which is great because she can't, uh, you know, she has to buy the snow globe otherwise it doesn't count um and then keely turns out the neon light thus closing the chapter of kjpr a uh, couple of scenes there what are you thinking craig on these scenes i love roy's aha moment that he has right because he finally realizes when he's talking to miss bowen and he's yeah talk- so what do you think this is it, well it's because he's talking to her about them flirting and and he like even references that she was flirting with him pretty hard before and then she's coming back and saying like well you know i I'm okay with messes. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I clean up messes all day long. And you can kind of see this click in his head again, another uh, visual cue that we get as an audience that he's had this light bulb moment that it's just time. It is time to go back to Keeley. And I think that that's ultimately what we're going to end up seeing right at the end of this episode. So it's great to be able to have uh, again, some facial expressions, physical, just physicality uh, coming from Roy and kind of showing us visually that he's had this aha moment uh, with Miss Bowen, who is someone else that we kind of saw him interact with and flirt with before. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely going to pay some dividends at the end of this episode. But uh, Nate's mom then briefly enters and says that she and her father are going to the farmer's market. Um, but basically what we're going into here is the Akufu meeting here. So Rebecca enters uh, this stuffy building. The old boys club is definitely joking inside the room. And Rupert enters directly after her. Um, she uh, gives a remark about the old men and where they talk to when they talk to her. Um, and Rupert's new assistant enters uh, to give him his phone that she left. And she <laughs> talks about his test with his fecalist the second time we've heard a fecalist mentioned in this season um i wonder what's on brendan hunt's mind this year um anyway um but this is you you mentioned it earlier though craig like this is not what you would think of for like rupert's assistant and um you know rebecca actually calls him out on this too and he says something about it being too dramatic um and this is where i wrote down in my notes just like god is rupert actually doing better here is he trying to again we will see no he's not doing better he's He's, he's he's tricking you, Jeremy. He is tricking me. See, he's I'm falling for Rupert. He's still thing. he's still Emperor Palpatine. He's just trying to charm you through your television because Anthony it's Head just is because a charming, Anthony charming Head man. is he's such a great actor, and if you see any of the other stuff he does, he's very unRupert like. Um, so it's you know I, I just want him to be good. Anyway, uh, Rupert goes in. He introduces her to the crew. Um, it's about as sexist as you would think, as casually immediately as you immediately would think. with the sexist comment. Like and then. <laughs> I mean, I keep bringing yeah. it up, but like Hannah's reaction to that, because she doesn't do any vocal reaction. It's just like this look like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, here we are. Yep. About what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Edwin enters. Uh, he walks to Rebecca and he actually remarks to her that it's nice to not be the only minority in the room, um, which I don't know how quite to take this. It seems sincere, but I don't think you can ever think anything that Akufu does is sincere. Um, but anyway, he says that they're going to eat uh, first before they talk business, some Ghanaian food and, of course, Chicago hot dogs. And I don't know why, but he called out these three people in particular, but Scotty Pippen, Obama and Ferris Bueller some of the greats that have either resided in or uh, fictional characters that uh, take part in the Chicagoland area so how I weird do... that he didn't choose Michael Jordan though although you know Ted mentions Michael Jordan earlier so we got Jordan and Pippen in this one the, the yeah and then we got duo. our bulls back in the uh, back in the episode in Amsterdam during sunflowers. So, I mean, uh-huh. there's a lot of, there's a lot of Chicago bull love this season for sure. Triangle offense. If we get a Horace Grant call out, man, we are complete with the triangle there. Um, anyway, um, in the midst of this, though, Nate does finally emerge from the room and he looks through an old photo album and he's getting pretty emotional. Then he enters the attic and he finds a violin case and takes it down. Keep that in mind, folks. But we then cut back to the meeting and Akufu is um, he first makes the Russian owner leave the room, which I I don't know, Craig. I appreciated this. I know it's de- delving into politics, but I thought this was pretty awesome. <laughs> That was really funny. I do like the the door gag went on just a beat too long for me if I was bit, going to bit. critique uh, yeah. anything in this episode. But I did think that it was funny that like Nikol- Nikolai, was that his name? And he yeah, just like, Nikolai, yeah. he just knew, he just knew that it was him like, that had yeah, to leave. Yeah, I get right? it. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets it and everything, as does everyone. It's just easier, as Akufu says. Um, At least he got to eat. Yeah, he did get to eat. Uh, well, uh, Akufu has given the speech, though, about uh, the league and why it will make them the most money and look this is something and i don't know how many how many of our audience knows the history of soccer but super leagues like this have tried to be formed many 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 times throughout the history of soccer especially in europe um it's 
it, it's basically literally trying to like monopolize this. And it's funny because Craig, this is sort of something that's happening in college athletics here in the United States right now. Like most of the biggest teams are consolidating into like one or two conferences right now. So that it's sort of pressing out all the other people. But um, in, in uh, football, it would be even worse because like most of the tournaments that people get that they depend on would be gone. And, you know, most of these teams like Richmond, even though they have a seat at this table, wouldn't really be able to do anything about that. Um, but this is literally typically, and, and it's not even just that Craig too. It's also the, um, kind of the March of progress idea as well, because he mentions, you know, how it used to be horse and buggies and now it's all automobiles. Um, so a lot of this is kind of like a manifest destiny type of thing that, that Akufu is trying to get them here, but it's all based on the same thing, which is we're going to make a crap ton of money. Um, so he passes out these projections for profits for the next five years. Um, and at this point is when Keeley finally texts Rebecca back and she says that, um, she's got this and to remember that all of those old buggers in there, they were all just a bunch of little boys once. And man, is that going to pay some dividends here um, in this. Now, before we get to what happens in this next couple of minutes, what do you think of just this little collection of scenes from the meeting and Nate? Yeah, I love that. We're first of all, the violin. I mean, I it's hard to like not automatically just go into talking about what's going to happen. The the music that's played, it's Tom's music and also uh, Nathan playing the violin. That's going to be kind of the underscore to this amazing speech by Rebecca that we're going to get. So it's hard not to talk about that. But I do think that the Keeley text is really important because it just reminds Rebecca again that she belongs in this room and that those those rich old men who are super sexist and being uh, ridiculous towards her immediately when she walks in the room, that they are nothing but a bunch of little boys and little boys that like to to play with money and try to earn money and try to do whatever they're going to do. And they want to try to shut out the fans because Akufu even mentions it, that a lot of their fans aren't going to be able to afford this. And that's okay. You know, because the ones yeah. that can afford it, will see the cream of the crop. I mean, it's just, ugh, ugh, it's just gross billionaire yeah. talk. Right. And so Rebecca's about to put them in their place. And I'm really I, it, one of the best scenes of the entire series. That's yeah. So back at the apartment, Nate, he's tuning the violin and he starts playing just this absolutely beautiful piece of music. Now I couldn't make out if it was like an actual, like, you know, written classical piece or something like that. I don't think it was, but you're right. It melds with Tom Howe's underscore. Um, as we go back to the meeting and the owners all seem to be in agreement here that they want to do this. But then Rupert notices that Rebecca's deep in thought and he asks what she thinks, which again, Craig is a very interesting thing here because I'll let this out for you sarah has this theory okay sarah had this theory that rupert asked rebecca to come to this meeting because he knew that she wouldn't be in favor of it and he didn't have the courage to say that he didn't want to do it either so he brings rebecca there because he knows that she'll tell them off and he knows that she'll set them straight and that's why he specifically calls out her opinion here so it's kind of him not wanting this to happen, but also not having the courage to do it himself. Thoughts? You absolutely could see it that way, but I think you'd absolutely be wrong. I think yeah. that it's just him being, it's just him being his little villain self. And so why do you think he asked her to... opinion specifically here? It's just kind of like a, hey, we're all in agreement. Like, you know, aren't you? Exactly. Too? He just, he thinks that she's going to go along with it. I mean, it's the group think mentality, right? I, th mm -hmm. I, I guess, you know, like, okay. Listeners, you could say that I'm being hard on poor Rupert Mannion in this episode, but <laughs> just remember that like we've had, you know, three seasons of Rupert being just a complete jerk 
to everybody and just being so manipulative and gaslighting that I just think that this is, again, him asking for her opinion. He doesn't really want her opinion. And I think that what she does is then completely surprise him by using the emotions of his own story to be able to express what fandom means to the general public. And I think that that does, does take him off guard. Yeah, exactly. So this is fantastic, though, because she literally goes and uh, and it's it, it reminded me, of course, of what Trent Krim asked Ted in the very first episode of the series where she just looks at them and says, is this a fucking joke? And she almost says it like exactly how Trent said it to Ted um, after he's doing that, which was a really funny thing, though. But I do appreciate Akufa just gives her the craziest eyes um, that I think he, we've ever seen um, kind of displaying what's about to happen. Um, but then it cuts back to Rebecca's perspective and she now sees them as just little boys. They're just little boys sitting in the seats and she definitely takes like a mom tone with this you know it's just like what are you doing just cut it out um and she gives this amazing speech about what you know football means to everyone i wrote the whole thing down as a tedism so we'll save it i'd say the um, other, i wasn't gonna write the whole thing down so good on you but i definitely yeah. just put rebecca's monologue as a tedism um, yes. but it, it's great it's wonderful. Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic amount. I'm going to speed read it later, but um, it, it's really, really great. But as she is giving this about like the power of soccer and just telling these guys off, uh, we see in the locker room, the team is watching the England game and Jamie gets substituted into the game. And this one, literally, I had to wipe away tears for a while because as he takes off his jacket, he's wearing Sam's number 24 in the game. And I literally like the locker room just erupts. Like everybody is so happy. Sam is so happy. It seems to break him out of his funk that he's been in with the Kufu back in town. I Craig, this just broke me inside. I was just like the, the, how far these two have come just absolutely gets me um, real quick before that Roy is in the corner. We see that he's writing a letter to Keeley. And after Rebecca's big speech, Edwin basically is trying to like, like just kind of like shy it away a little bit with the He's like, Oh, but who's ready to make some money. And then we cut straight to him leaving the room frustrated. And as we cut back, we see that all the other owners are just covered in food. So clearly Edwin went all mannequin on all of these owners. He had a huge blow up. And while they're all stunned, Rupert and Rebecca share what I wrote down as an awesome laugh. Like they are sharing a moment here, especially because in the midst of all of this, Rebecca told this story of Rupert when he first was sneaking into games because of his parents couldn't afford it and then walked in later um, and as the owner and gave a security guard that caught him a raise and stuff like that really just calling out like again like you had to have loved this game once type of stuff and Rupert definitely something is happening to him in this scene right absolutely and I think that he is showing a little bit of growth here and I think it's because Rebecca's dragging him along I still don't think up to this point that he was like being redeemed by any stretch of the imagination and I do think that the kiss later is equal parts. I can understand that you're saying, well, okay, he's going in for the kiss because this is a romantic moment. But at the same time, I still think that he's going in for the kiss because he just thinks he gets whatever he wants. I, I still mm. think that he's, mm. he's Rupert through and through for me still. Um, but I do want to call out the Sam moment because to me, and I get like two completely different emotions, two completely different sides of things. But for me, him jumping out in 24 and wearing that kit was very equivalent to Roy and Jamie hugging at the Man City game. Yeah. For me, it was like, because we have so much history with those characters, it's like, it, it did make me have a, a lot of emotion to see Jamie Tart, who is someone 
that we have talked about the character arc that he's provided us throughout these three seasons to go from the guy who has to be all about him and then to take away his number six and to put on Sam's number 24, making his English debut. This is a big deal for him. For him, And the yeah. fact that he did that, it just, I don't know, man. It just like, and it, it, it talks about the power of sport and the power of teammates and all the while, while Rebecca is giving us this impassioned speech underneath it, it's just one of those moments that like of this show that, you know, people are going to YouTube clip that and show that in like motivational <laughs> speeches and things like that for years, because it's, it's one of those scenes that just rings so true to all of us that love sport. Yeah. And it, it definitely rings true too of like, you're right, like billionaire culture and stuff like that. Um, there's another great line. We had one earlier in the season about like who teams really belong to. Um, and, you know, Rebecca says that. And again, it's just one of those things where, you know, as Packer fans, we, we know this because the fans literally do own the team. Uh, you know, there is no singular owner of that football team here in America. Um, it actually is owned just by the city and a lot of people. Um, Craig is an owner of the Green Bay Packers, believe it or not. I do, I do have one <laughs> ceremonial stock uh, in the Green Bay Packers. It's non-transferable and I don't believe it has any monetary value, but I do have it. But you are an owner of a sports team. Um, so, yes. um, but it is one of those things that like, yeah, like uh, they, they seem to just like play with stuff like this all the time and just like, like these are toys, but they're not. They're people's lives. It's people, stuff that people depend on. Um, so let's get to the yet another cry moment, my man. Uh, back at the apartment, Nate's dad, we see, is listening to him play. Um, and it looks like they're finally going to have this out. Nate apologizes for disturbing him. Um, his dad says he sees a, he says that it's lovely hearing him play. And Nate tells him, you know, I thought you hated hearing me play. And his dad is actually visibly upset by this. And he asks, like, why on earth would you think that? And Nate is finally done. Like, he's not going to do this anymore. He literally spins around and yells at him. He's like, because you literally told me that. You know, you said that I was squandering my gift, that I wasn't practicing enough and wasting my talent. And his father just takes this tact with him, Craig, of just like, he knows what the score is now. He knows what's happening inside Nate's head and he knows what he needs to say. And he does it without, with an absolute sincerity that moves you. And he says that he had opportunities that he had never had. So he was tough on him. Um, Nate says that, you know, fine, but that scared the shit out of me. And that's a very interesting line, Craig. You don't hear that too often in these kind of confrontations um, with parental figures in, in film and TV. But he, his dad says that he knows that now. And he says that he's sorry. That alone right there would be just there. But then he goes on. He says, I didn't know how to parent a genius. And as Nate is stunned by this, he says that again, he says like, yeah, you're a genius. You're brilliant. And you've always seen things that other people couldn't, which is a blessing. And I'm sure it's a curse. Um, but he says that, yes, Nate, you're right, that he pushed him too hard to be the best at everything because he thought that's what Nate needed. That's what he thought he had to do. And that's what Nate wanted. And Nate just absolutely crushes me here with this line. But he, he says, I just enjoyed playing. And that is just like one of those things that is just like, uh, as a parent, I'm like, uh, God, duh. but his, his dad tears up and he leaves and Nate is literally overwhelmed and just falls to the bed here. Lots of emotional resonance happening here, Craig. What, what was going through your head? Well, we talked about how much season two is about that fatherhood storyline and how that's really kind of continued in the season three. It, it really hasn't necessarily been, I don't think the overarching theme much like it was in season two, but, um, you know, I think we all had a very negative opinion of Nate Shelley's dad because uh, what we have gotten before was from Nate's perspective. And now we get to kind of hear a bit from the father's perspective 
We heard from his wife a few episodes back and the map story and how cute that was. Mm -hmm. But now we get to hear that, you know, he was just trying as a dad and thinking that he was doing well. But ultimately, he made some really terrible decisions. And for a dad to apologize to his son like that about these major issues in their life, I just, it was remarkable. And, you know, he, I I have it down as a Tedism, but like that, that whole idea that he just wants to see his son happy. Yeah. I wrote like, it as a Tedism too. And it's, isn't that what we all want as dads? You know, and I mean, like, you want to, you want to be able to have them know that from the start. And like, I'm sure like in right, his want, mind, knowing what his pressuring him has done to his son, you know, seeing what he's going through now, it must be overwhelming for him. Yeah. And Nate's completely shook at the end of this because I mean, you couldn't even imagine like he's so intimidated by his dad and his dad, that intimidation and that, that striving to perfect himself for his father is some kind of pressure that he's had on himself for forever. I mean, just think about mm-hmm. like even at the beginning of this, when he's becoming the manager of West Ham and he's able to go on these runs and then his mom is still texting him that basically his dad's not all that impressed. And he's just trying yeah. so hard to impress his dad. He wants the window seat at Taste of Athens because he wants to impress his dad because he that's the restaurant their family impressed. went to. Yeah. You know, and so it's just like everything he's doing, the motivation that he has is to try to impress his father. And so maybe this is why now we get the next scene, you know, where he's sneaking back into Richmond and being able to kind of start to make amends or starting to apologize. We got to get a Ted and Nate scene and an apology in the next episode, I think. And that's going to be emotional as hell for all of us. Yeah, and I you parallel this blow up, I think, with his blow up at Ted at the end of, of uh, season two, um, because that's a blow up where he's putting all of this emotional resonance that is supposed to be due to his father here, I think, onto Ted. These are the things that he wanted to tell his father about, you know, uh, being abandoned and feeling abandoned, feeling like he was the most important person in the world. These are all fatherly things that he's transferring onto Ted. And now you're right. Like now that he sees that there is depth to his father and that there is regret and human emotion, so to speak, um, it releases it releases that feeling that Nate, that Nate has of inadequacy and it allows him to just be happy and to just know that, you know, whatever he does, his dad's going to be there for him. It's an incredibly great scene. Um, again, just kudos to the writers. And again, heavy lifting narratively. Now we get to do so many other things. All right. So we're going to keep rolling here. Uh, back at the meeting, Rupert and Rebecca, there left alone. Um, Rupert asked if she remembers when they snuck into a match together and he gets a piece of food out of his hair. And I know, I know Craig, you were probably doing the same thing. Like when he said like, Oh, you've got something in your hair. I was just like, no, 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 no. This is a it. typical rom trope we're not going to do this and he does indeed try to kiss her she stops him and she has like this moment of just like no um that she says to him and as she walks away i wrote it down like this craig i said like he looks devastated at the end of this scene he looks literally utterly lost to me as a human being um after this because you're right it may have been like a motivation of like oh i want her now i'm gonna take her but like he seems clearly shook his confidence i think is just absolutely gone by the end of this and i don't know where we see him for the rest of these two episodes perhaps he looks like a little boy at the end of the scene maybe maybe i mean he's shook man good for good for rebecca though walking away like that doing a little bit of a head shake 
leaving that scene. And um, I am not on the Rupert Mannion redemption train like Jeremy <laughs> redemption is. Tour. So. Hey, man, I just like I said, I think Anthony Head does a lot of great acting in this episode. So it gives complexity to a character that we really haven't had a lot of complexity about. Um, so um, but back at Keeley's, Roy is uh, putting a note under her door and she surprises him in literally the exact same way that she surprised Ted in episode one. Just like, what are you doing there with like this deep voice? Um, and she opens the note. Um, it seems like it's going to be like this emotional thing, but she literally cuts the scene. It's just like, I still can't read your handwriting, Did which you is abysmal it was, like the little yeah. handwriting on the corner. It's just so funny. <laughs> yeah, abysmally small, small there. But basically, he's reading uh, the note Roy does, and it's apologizing. Um, he's basically saying she never did anything wrong, that he was stuck in his own shit, and he didn't want to hurt her with it, so he pulled away. Um, and, you know, but he always said, like, but you are and always will be Keely fucking Jones. And he tells her at the end that he loves her. Um, and he gives her the note with the, I love that he does like the sincerely Roy can XOXO. <laughs> she says that he's the only Roy she, uh, she knows. Um, and he leaves right there, but right before Melissa cuts that scene there, you see her start to move toward the direction he was leaving in. So you, you knew this was happening at that point, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. We knew it was happening and we were all cheering in our seats, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And I will call out also what second straight week of an amazing song being played under the emotional ending of an episode, Golden Star by Middle Kids. Go and find it, everyone. A fantastic track. Um, man, these guys are in like my indie music sensibilities here. Um, but as that's playing as well, after that's done, we see Nate's family playing cards together. Clearly, those fences have been mended. But Rebecca then shows up at Keeley's and she's got this sauce stains like all over her shirt. So Keeley automatically assumes she's been shot or something like that because it does look weird. Um, but she basically he tells her that she shut the league down um and then he's just like wait no i'm mad at you um you know why haven't you been here so we cut straight to the living room where she's talking about the agency ending um and rebecca tells her a lot of stuff of support but then basically says that she's gonna finance her um with you know the money that she has on her which is again just an amazing amount of like supportive friendship and stuff like that then as she's telling her that rupert tried to kiss her i just love like the dynamics of how that works she like hugs her about it and is like wait there's more <laughs> like in things so um at the it's very clear now though like rebecca says i believe in this moment craig that like she's she has this she has this moment of clarity was just like it's done i've moved past rupert you know and and it's a it's a big thing we're gonna get at the very end um keely starts making these remarks about like oh what if you fell for it and got back with him as literally as roy is coming down the stairs in keely's robe i sarah and i cheered out loud craig i'm sure you did too yeah, absolutely. And I love, again, it, it was like the 12th time I mentioned it this episode, but uh, Hannah's facial expressions uh, during all of that, just kind of like, oh, yeah, really? Mm -hmm. Keely? Oh, yeah. yeah. You? Yeah. <laughs> as, and then uh, Roy just giving the little, the little uh, salute to her as well. Uh -huh. And just, gosh, it's great to see these two back together, isn't it? Yeah, they they it's silly that we did this, but of course, as I said, the Zach and Kelly syndrome of Saved by the Bell. Um, it's just hopefully though, if there's two episodes left, that is all we need to see. So, um, we're gonna power through the rest of these here. So we're back at Richmond, um, and Will enters the locker room and he sees that all his work has already been done. And in the middle of the room, there's a note that reads, "I'm sorry, Wonder Kid." And it has Ugh. the lavender spray. It has the lavender literally there. The one that Nate was complaining about the very first time in season two. This is amazing. The episode of season of two character. called Lavender. Called Lavender. Yeah. This is 
oh man, this crushed me again. Like there are many moments in this episode that crushed me, but again, Nate, our boy Nate is back. Nate the Great is back, and now we just need to go on the Make Amends tour. Need to do that and get everybody right. You're right. Ted is the last domino, I think, to fall here. Though it appears there's some work to mend fences with Beard, um, as we saw in this episode. Um, back in the locker room, though, as well, though. Oh, well, actually, back at KJPR, Keely is uh, signing up Anna J sunglasses again, as we get to mention that Shandy is, of course, not coming back to the agency. Um, and Barb walks in, and she gives her this no-go back, saying like she only buys it when she leaves the job, and she says that Jack, she's given Jack her notice and asks if Ke- Keely still needs a CFO. Um, they embrace. Barb is sticking around, Craig. It's awesome. Uh, back in the locker room, Danny is completely back to normal now, and he comes up to Van Dan's and hey, how's your nose, man? You know, just asking how he's doing, smiling all over the place. Um, you know, Sam is smiling as well as he goes to his locker, and he puts up the picture again of the 1994 Nigerian soccer team right there. He's clearly not giving up on his dream, uh, being the goldfish moving forward. Um, and what might be one of my favorite exchanges of the whole season, Trent is in the office and he asks Beard where he's from originally. And Beard says, like, it's none of his business. Um, and we see that Roy, we're going to get there, Craig, almost. Roy, though, walks in. He's wearing another tie-dye shirt, but it's a darker version. So clearly personality shift in Roy here. He's, you know, he's kind of doing a little different stuff there. And Trent and Beard share these nice little hmms to each other with that. And Beard says, he's from Peoria, and I'm going to assume Illinois because Brendan Hunt is a Chicago boy. All in caps. Beard is from Peoria. Beard is from Peoria, everyone. We still don't know his name or anything about him, but he's from Peoria, Illinois. He's from Peoria. So uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, living in Springfield, we're about an hour south of Peoria here. And actually Mm -hmm. uh, where I was from originally, where I was raised uh, up in Northern Illinois, about an hour north of Peoria. So Peoria has always been like kind of the midpoint uh, in my travels back home and everything. And so... God, I love that Peoria as well. I know we've got a bunch of listeners from Peoria, and, and so I bet all of them were cheering back home tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, in our final scene, though, Ted enters Rebecca's office. She's putting the Hockney up again, which I believe she said yeah, she was going to auction off. Isn't it? So is this the same Hockney? I, I haven't gone back to We'd see. We'd have to go back. To, we'd have to go back to episode one, but she does tell uh, Higgins to auction it off for however like a million you know whatever yeah it's like worth a million pounds or so she well she asked him if he wants it and then he's like yeah it must be worth a million pounds like good point should have said yes auction pile you know so i don't know if this is the same one uh well i'll go back and check this i'm sure somebody in the group will post it but um it is at least a hockney back up in the office he's a very talented little boy very talented little boy that's probably not gonna that was hilarious because the 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 (laughs) list but that was pretty good oh man because the the drug it it, it's fine um anyway but she sits him down and says that she has moved on from wanting to beat Rupert. Um, She still wants to win, but she wants to win for them, for Richmond, for the team. Um, And Ted says the same thing. And uh, she literally spews and spits the tea that she has in her hand out on Ted's face and says it's really more of a rite of passage at this point. Um, Again, just calling out so many great things there. Um, You know, we had to get our Ted Rebecca scene, but a little bit of a a twinge on it there. So what do you think of the ending here? I loved it, and I think that now it's it's clear the path has been laid. They're gonna go win this whole fucking thing, right? And I mean, so I'm I'm really excited about where we're heading in these last two episodes. This episode was there was so much, like you said, it was so narrative heavy, and we got so much resolution to a lot of the questions that we wanted, or at least the plane is starting to come in for a landing um, for so many of these characters. And I would just like caution listeners to say. 
like regardless of how you predicted things may occur, if they don't end up that way, don't feel upset about it. You know, just like these writers had to make some of these decisions and not everybody can be satisfied necessarily in the end. But this episode was extremely satisfying for me because it uh, relied so heavily on the characters that we've all come to know and love. And really, they got to all shine in their own individual ways. We didn't get a ton of Ted in this episode, but when we did, he was dropping Tedisms left and right, you know, like, (laughs) so we got to see like that kind of more classic, those first couple of episodes, Ted and the different analogies that he's making and the different, you know, just like Midwest charm that he's bringing. But then we get to see amazing scenes with uh, Rebecca and we get to see bits from the team and we get to see the Jamie and Sam relationship. And of course, Nate getting this full redemption and, and just like the, the way that Nick Muhammad was just looking at that violin as he was tuning it up. It was just all so emotional and such a great episode. And, and people seem to be loving it as well. Since we're recording this after the episode actually dropped um, you, we're, we're getting some of that fan reaction too. And it's just, uh, we're in for a trip these last two episodes, but I know that, you know, it's, it's been a long episode, buddy. So maybe I, I think Larry, did we remember to feed him? This I don't week? know. Larry, are you still alive? Tedisms. For each wink, we share biscuits truth. Oh, okay. He's still alive. He's good. He's good. And it's time for Tedisms, everyone. Again, uh, Craig, you said there are a lot of them in this episode. So we're going to go rapid fire here. Uh, why don't you get us going? Contained multitudes. Fantastic. But I'm going to take the next one because it was fantastic. He said, all right, well, let's our wish our teammates safe travels and Godspeed or whatever narcotic your deity self-medicates with. <laughs> that is just classic Ted. Or classic Tedism there. Another, like, classic Tedism. Well, boss, I'm like an, inc- I'm an incomplete list of Madeline Kahn's best films. I ain't got no clue. <laughs> this is absolutely true, everyone. Clue is a masterpiece. It is a comedy masterpiece. Madeline Kahn is amazing in it. Everyone, everyone should watch Clue. Um, and of course, we already called uh, called out the uh, keep your heads up, be a goldfish. But of course, since my boy Beard does it, I have to say it. Hey, Jane, baby. Hey, Janie, baby. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, I also love that he finishes that with couldn't imagine being in a different country than my axes, you know, all 17 axes 17, that he has 17 axes, man. What are you going to do there? Um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll let you uh, do the Higgins one here because you called it out, but this literally cracked me up so hard because of how he delivered. It. I actually had a Phoebe one. I snuck in here too, though, uh, because Ooh. she says you owe me a pound, Jamie. Uh, this is at Roy's party. And then he said, but I didn't say nothing. And she said, no, but you made me thank it. And that's basically the same thing because she put together what the uh, U being what replaced the for the changing E would be. the E to a U meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but no, I didn't write down all of the Higgins one because he had actually two Willy Wonka ones. He had the one at the end where he's like, if yeah, they're, you but- know, but the one I like is, I hate to break it to you, Rebecca, but those children are dead. Yes, and again, Jeremy Swift's delivery of this is so great because he's talking about how all the kids died in Willy Wonka and was like, oh, I don't think that's true. And he literally, as dead serious as you can, just like, I hate to break it to you, Rebecca. All those kids are dead. And you know what? He's right. All those kids are dead. Okay. I don't care what Roald Dahl wrote in the books. Those kids are dead. Um, You called out a couple of May ones here. Um, Why don't you do that first one there? 
I would say the first one I had is uh, shit helps things grow, love. Which is fantastic because Keely's talking about how everything she touches turns to shit. Well, shit helps things grow, and it does. So I wrote down one uh, that she says there where she says, like, sometimes it's better to follow your gut than pretend to follow someone else's. That's an awesome line. That is just an awesome line of wisdom there. Um, but then, you know, uh, we already talked about the ones, you know, like once you make it to the top of the mountain, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of good stuff there. What's another one you got here? I think we did Barb's uh, one there. I mean, we should call it out, though, again, because Barbara definitely needs to make an appearance in Tedism when we can. And she says, I like clothes that tell the truth with the juicy butt and juicy back for sure. Um, <laughs> and then let's see. I also have, oh, from Rebecca. How could I resist a chance at having a bunch of old men speak directly to my chest when she's talking about going into the meeting to Rupert? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I my next big one was Rebecca's and stuff like that. Well, well before actually, you get I called that. I, I called out Miss Bowen too. Well, can uh, I, just I called call, out Miss Bowen's one. Well, real quick, can I just call out Edwin's where um, he was explaining the the concept of the Super League and instead of saying each game would be a wet dream, he says each game an undried dream and i just i don't know the way he said it i was like what did he say like i had to go back and like like rewind it again and then play it again but he says yeah each game an undried dream <laughs> yeah again sam richardson is just fantastic uh put him in every movie um i i this isn't really a tedism but it like just made me laugh so much because when miss bowen sees him in the tide he's like oh i like your t-shirt you off to protest the vietnam war <laughs> Which is just fantastic stereotyping there. But um, yeah, I did like you're going to definitely want to do Nate's dad's uh, final one. But do you want me to rail off Rebecca's here? Go for it, man. Good luck. All right. Well, here we go. She says, how much more money do any of you really need? Why would you ever consider taking something away from people that means so much to them? This isn't a game. Football isn't just a game. It's one of those amazing things in life that can make you feel shit one moment and then like it's Christmas morning the next. It has the ability to make heroes and villains out of ordinary men. People love this game. My father loved this game. You all used to love this game. God, that got me. I'm sure of it. I knew this little boy working class from Richmond, and he loved football so much he used to sneak into the matches because his family just couldn't afford the tickets. And one afternoon, he finally got caught, and the security guard smacked him around the face, knocked him to the ground. But that little boy stood up, smiled, kicked the security guard in the bollocks, and ran away, never to be seen again, until 25 years later when he walked in and bought the entire club. And on his first day as owner, he went and found that same security guard and gave him a pay raise without any explanation. Just because we own these teams doesn't mean they belong to us. And I don't want to be a part of something that could possibly destroy this beautiful game because I would hate for all those little kids and grownups out there to ever lose access to that beautiful, passionate part of themselves. Especially call out there, dude, that just because we own these teams doesn't mean they belong to us. It's definitely, it it goes right back to what Ted was saying in the crown and anchor to Beard. That, you know, that this is the community's team and that they, they are just... Uh, here as We're just kind of stewards yeah. of this team, yep. right? So absolutely, I love absolutely all of that. And then, oh my God, Lloyd Shelley coming in. Oh, Lloyd Shelley. Coming in hot. Nathan, be successful. Don't be successful. I've never cared about any of that. I just want my son to be happy. Oh, yep. Ugh. God. That was like, oh, and the, I mean, again, like this is something that Nate's needed to hear his whole freaking life, man. Um, but of course, we kind of mentioned it. You want to do the last one here, the very last one from Rebecca? Well, I'm, I got a couple more uh, real quick. I, and then you, I'll give you Rebecca's last one. 
but I did, and I know you already said it in the recap. Oh wait, I do have two more. Never mind. I do have two more. <laughs> I called out well I the one the one I called out next was you are and always will be Keely fucking jo- Jones. Uh, and that's from Roy. Yeah, I had the one with Keely when she's uh, asking, when she's talking to Rebecca on the couch, and Rebecca asks why she didn't tell her, and she says, well, I couldn't find the right time or the right way, and I didn't want to. <laughs> that is just like textbook avoidance people, man. And I just love that when Rebecca, my last one from uh, that, I, that I had from Rebecca before the spitting um, was when she's talking about Rupert, and she says, I just looked at him, and it made it all so clear. And we yep. don't know what the resolution to that all clear is yet. We've seen Roy's resolution when she when he was talking to Miss Bowens, but we don't know yet exactly what she means that it was all so clear. Um, but you know, I I just yep. thought that that was a very important line dropped by it is an important Rebecca line. Welton. And uh, Ted had a couple of doozies at the end where when she says, you know, it's weird. He says, how weird it is that margarita pizza doesn't have alcohol in it. I hear you, sister. And that is kind of weird, isn't it? I always think of like, I'm like, how is this a margarita pizza? Um, yeah. We have a lot of listeners. We have a lot of listeners from across the, the globe. So if people know the history of the margarita pizza, um, please I mean, it's, it's like the margarita, you know, uh, so it's probably an, an Italian thing there as I do a terrible Italian accent. Yeah. I mean, we have <laughs> listeners in it. Italy, and they all just scoffed at you so yeah they all scoffed uh they um, all turned off so they don't hear complaints my explanation can go apology. to uh jeremy geckner can't do uh <laughs> italian accents at gmail.com that well now i've got to make that email address <laughs> um, so <laughs> you got one last one here man before we wrap up all right she spits in his face says just feels like it's ceremonial at this point hey as long as none of that tree piss gets in my mouth i'm actually okay with it <laughs> Says Ted. <laughs> Treat piss. Oh, man. Guys, we've been talking for two hours here. This episode is exactly what we all needed. Because, look, like you said, if you if you were one of the people out there who were like, they're not going to be able to wrap things up in three episodes, I think they proved they're going to get pretty close here. And what you said, too, it reminded me of another Bill Lawrence show, Scrubs, in the end of that series. And literally, like, Zach Braff's character in that has a call where he said, like, f- like, endings are hard. You're not going to make everybody happy and stuff. And this is always what I take from series finales of of shows and stuff. If that is where we are heading with this show, it doesn't matter if every question gets answered. It matters if we feel like the characters have reached the place where we need them to be. And that's all that matters. Can I complain just for like 30 seconds on a show that's trying too hard at the ending right now? One show that I absolutely love, and actually it's been mentioned on Ted Lasso, is The Marvelous Miss Maisel. And that show is killing me right now. Because what they're doing in this last season is they're doing a bunch of flash forwards, like 30 years in the future that no one asked for and no one needs. And it's just like, it's (laughs) killing me inside because I hate that they made that choice. So there are some times where we don't necessarily need to see the happily ever after or the resolution to every particular character because it's okay to have open ending um, endings on some of those characters that we know and love. And you can kind of imagine, you know, where they go from here. So that's where I'm at with that. But we need to get going because, buddy, we have an interview to prep. Holy crap. Yeah, guys, if you haven't been in the Facebook group, uh, you do not know this yet. But we are sitting down with one Mr. James Lance tomorrow or actually this morning as you're listening to this. Uh, we will be sitting down with Trent Krim himself to do our next interview with a member of the cast of Ted Lasso. So 
if you were in the Facebook group, you would already know this, guys, and you would be able to start telling questions that you want us to ask him and stuff. So get your butts to the Facebook group. Get on Facebook and go search for Peanut Butter and Biscuits and get your butt in there um, as we are nearing a 1,000, and it's a really, really fun community. So do that. And, of course, if you also want to uh, message us, write a review or anything, or email us at frontrowlasso at gmail.com. Craig, anything else? No, just uh, this has been a great episode. Uh, and thank you so much to all of you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the insights you provide us because you make us better as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, guys, we're coming in for a landing and it's going to be a great landing. If I would, uh, that's my final prediction of season three, that this thing's going to land well. So here we go. Two more episodes left. Here, here, everyone. All right. For Peanut Butter and Biscuits, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Craig. And as always, everyone, be a goldfish. Be a goldfish. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.